upside down world of Jesus. Today we finish our series on the Beatitudes with the double Beatitude. It's the only one uh, like this. It reads, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10. Then verse 11 again, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, verses 11 and 12. And then Jesus carries on with the Sermon on the Mount. So this double beatitude follows the peace on peacemaking. If we are peacemakers, then at times our attempts will be resisted, and then we will face some resistance. Think of Martin Luther King. Uh, he attempts to be a peacemaker. He experiences resistance. Oscar Romero in El Salvador, a priest working for social justice. He attempts peacemaking. And then he's shot down while he celebrates the Mass. Uh, resistance. And so uh, I hope to show that indeed we all face resistance at some level uh, and it's helpful for us I think to hear what Jesus is saying on this theme. Indeed if we look at verse 3 and verse 10 we, we have a similarity that the reward is both the kingdom of heaven in both cases. The poor in spirit will gain the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3 verse 10 those persecuted for righteousness will gain the kingdom of heaven. So first beatitude and the final beatitude act as bookends and draw the peace together. So in these various beatitudes, they, they act as a whole then. They act as a composite. So we are not to just pick and choose which ones we like or don't like. Jesus offers them to all of us who are in the kingdom of God, the children of God, we are to pursue each of these. It's not about choosing ones we like or don't like. All of them are about the values of Christ and resonating with him. So Telechi says, anybody who enters into a fellowship with Jesus must undergo a transvaluation of values. If we follow Jesus, then our value system is changed. We become a counterculture to the culture around us. So that's a, a big ask, but that's what Jesus is saying, and the Spirit will lead us in that transvaluation of values. So again, we begin with an open phrase, we are blessed to know God through Jesus, Macarius. That the essence of Christ is presented here, the portraiture of Jesus, and we are invited to enter into this relationship with Christ, and through this we come to know God. Indeed, we are able to see God fundamentally as we pursue this. So it's a, it is a wonderful blessing. We are blessed. Regardless of what else is going on in your life, if we know Jesus, we are blessed at a fundamental level. And Christ is making that clear to us. We have a vocation to follow. And I, I think for those of us who maybe have been Christians for a while, 
the invitation is to is to continue to go deeper so the secret is to keep going deeper with Jesus the secret is to keep going deeper in our vocation our calling that we hear and receive what Jesus has for us so I like what Farrell says not only does there come to us the primary call and first hear Jesus voice there is also the continuous call Again and again, we must choose God, walk further than we ever imagined. This is the second vocation, the second calling. To keep going deep, to keep pursuing him, to keep walking the line of following Christ, not being turned aside. So it's not reaching a platitude and we just level off and that's, that's, that's where we end. But it's a continual desire to climb the mountain that we might know God and love God and hear God's voice. So that's, that's the makarios, that's the blessing. To know Jesus, to hear his voice. And so if that's the opening, then the second piece, okay, well, who's the target group? Well, the target group here are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So it's not being persecuted just because you're a difficult person, you're hard to get along with. That's not what it's about. It's being persecuted for righteousness sake. Because we shine brightly, because we become conspicuous by our light, Jesus is going to say, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. We are to shine. We are to be the light and be a light. And as people see this, they are either drawn or they proffer resistance. So we are indeed to be that light, righteousness. It reciprocates, or it says again, uh, what we hear in verse 6, that this group hunger and thirst for righteousness. To be in right conduct, knowing God. So we, we hear this piece, verse 6, repeated again here in verse 10. To know God, to seek God, to seek his righteousness. That's what we want to do. We want to resonate with him. Last week we talked about string theory and how all the strings resonate together. Well, that's the picture here. All the way through to even the beatitude of pain. Verse 10. So the persecution, Jesus says, comes in various forms. And one of them is ridicule. We are being reviled so people say nasty things about you, make you a joke in some way. Secondly, there's persecution or various types of attack. It doesn't have to be, you know, frontal attack in some super aggressive way. But if you are standing for Christ and you're working in a factory, you may experience some resistance just because you're different than the rest of the guys or girls, women. And then thirdly, there's slander. Jesus speaks about all of these. It's interesting in the early church, the church did experience indeed rumors and false charges and various distortions. They would say when, hey, I, we, we hear that they drink blood and, and it's, it's, it's a misinterpretation of what communion was all about. They're saying they, they drink blood, they, they kill babies because there's this reference to baptism, baptism of children. 
They're all brothers and sisters. There's incest. There's a lot of fake news in the first century. Remember, Christianity is resisted. It's an illegal religion for three centuries, 300 years. So there's a lot of negativity about the church. Hence, rumors, slander, deceit, all of that against the early Christian church. And specifically, two reasons. One, they're maligned because of their good behavior. They're persecuted for righteousness sake, verse 10. You live in a different way. Peter puts it this way. But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear and do not be intimidated. You suffer for doing right. You're a good citizen. Hence, people speak negatively. It's interesting in Bolivia, you know, bribing people is, is sort of standard fare. It's just part of the economic system. And if you try to resist that and say no to that, I won't engage in that way, it, it, life becomes harder and harder. It's a choice. If you do suffer for doing what is right. So malign for good behavior, and secondly, persecuted because of our loyalty to Jesus. See this in verse 11. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely, note, on my account. Jesus suffered persecution. If we follow him, there is going to be some form of resistance in our, in our lives. And you note here, it's actually changed to the second person plural, you. Blessed are you. So it's no longer they, but blessed are you. In your real world, in your daily endeavors, you. Whatever you're engaging in, as you shine for Jesus, when you experience resistance, Jesus is saying, you are blessed when you do it on my account. A clash. A clash between two value systems, we've said. Christ and his values and the broader culture and the values of our culture. How do we continue looking to Jesus? Again, in the first century, if you were a Christian, then you could not have a government job. You couldn't be employed by the Roman Empire because you were a Christian. Christianity was illegal, as I've said. So somebody has a good job in the, you know, in the government and they become a Christian, well then when that's found out, they, they lose their job. I mean, that's, that's, that's persecution. Now, that's not easy. So the target group are those who have been persecuted because of their loyalty to Christ. Classic example in our era was Bonhoeffer who resisted the Nazi regime all through his life, and the German Empire is falling at the time, and then right on the last day, the last day of their strength and empire, they have Bonhoeffer hang. It's just done out of spite. There's no purpose for this at this point in time. But they want to make sure that they send a message and they want to claim his life because he spoke against the Nazi regime. So, I mean, that, there's persecution. It goes all around, all around the world. It's there. And then thirdly, the reward. The reward is, one, it's hard to hear verse 12, but rejoice and be glad because your reward will be great in heaven. In heaven means with God. Your reward will be great with God. 
and it's both now and future. So it, it, in heaven is a bit unclear there. It's not just meaning in those cielos eventually, finally. It's right now your reward will be great as we identify with Jesus. Even as Jesus' reward was great as he identified with Abba. Chapter 633, it says you're, you will gain treasure. Seek the Lord in his kingdom and you will know abundance here and now. So we may appear to lose, you may appear to lose, but your actuality in Christ, as you will one thing, is that you will know him more and gain more. Gain more in, in, in understanding your person and who you are in your vocation, as we talked about earlier, what your life is really about, a life of meaning and purpose, significance. So we may appear to lose, but at a deeper level, that's not the case at all. Of course, the world doesn't see that. They don't get it. But it's a reminder to us to invest our time in our resources what, in what really matters. I mean, how much time do we waste? How much time do we waste over our lives? Oh, man, so much. What might we have done? What might we have gained for Christ if we had been more willing one thing? Hebrews chapter 11, 12 are examples more over and over and over of people who have struggled to really work and live for Jesus. So they're models for us. Invest your time and your resources in what really matters. That's an ongoing call. That's what Jesus is saying in this double beatitude. Sure, there's going to be resistance. There was resistance to Christ. Hence, there's going to be resistance to his followers. And the more important we place on following Jesus, the more resistance we will. For compromising left and right, well then, yeah, probably not a whole lot of resistance. So it calls us to reflect on what it's about. So going forward, number one, to know Jesus is indeed to know a measure of suffering. Paul says in Philippians 3.10 that his desire is to share in the sufferings of Christ. Part of that is as we identify with Jesus, then we will share in some resistance. We will feel that. It's like diving and you're going against the current. You're going you're gonna to push up against it and you're definitely going to feel it. Start pushing you back. So Paul wants to identify with Jesus to the point of sharing in his sufferings. And so there's a paradox here, because as we know Jesus more, we will also feel some resistance more. As we drink his cup of blessing, there will also be drinking his cup of suffering. You remember the story in the Gospels when the mother of James and John come to Christ towards the end of his time and says, Lord, I'm asking you, you know me, I'm asking you to give a place to my sons, one to be on your right and one in your left when you come into your kingdom. And, and Jesus' answer to that is, well, to the guys, well, can you drink the cup of suffering that I'm going to drink? And their response is, yes, we can. And Jesus says, well, you know what, actually, uh, that's a good response because you will drink the cup of suffering. He knows what's going to happen. 
But it's not my place to give you the right hand or the left hand. That's up to the Father in heaven. But the question to us is, can we drink the cup of suffering? That, that's not just for them. That's a question to us. If we're going to follow Jesus seriously, can we drink the cup of suffering? We're, sure, we want the cup of blessing. Who wouldn't want it? We want the cup of blessing. But it's a paradox. As we drink the cup of blessing, we also have to lift up the cup of suffering. The two go together. So we can't just start crying when we, we feel some suffering, even while we experience blessing. The, the two go together. There is this paradox in this mystery of faith, of saying yes to God, yes to Christ, but also experiencing resistance. So to know Jesus is to know a measure of suffering. Jesus is saying this right up front, the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, hey, let's get this out of the way, I want you to hear it right now. That's, that's what it's about. If you don't want it, then turn away. And lots of people do turn away. So we all know some of this beatitude of pain. Jesus passed through suffering to reach glory, so will we. If we want to live our true selves, our true lives, our deepest true selves, then there will be some resistance. Secondly, in our day in the West, I would say that there is much psychic persecution. We don't, we don't always have frontal attack. If you're in the, in the Middle East right now and you, you're a Christian, you can experience frontal attack. You've heard all those stories, people dying or martyred. There's lots of martyrs in our world and our generation. Here in the West, we don't normally experience that. But there is a psychic persecution. And what I mean by that is, you know, we carry an element of sadness. We carry an element of loneliness. There can be an element of depression. And we, and we wonder, well, where, where does all this come from? Why do we carry this kind of low-grade depression? And I, and I think one of the reasons is that there is resistance. There's resistance to saying yes, to know God more. There's, there's pressure, there's dissonance. So we carry these kinds of forms of persecution here in the West. We also experience spiritual deprivation, meaning lack of silence, lack of time, always being in a hurry, overstimulation of our, of our senses so we... we we experience this lack of integration, disintegration, living in silos. Our faith is here, our church is here, and it's all separated from everything else. Spiritual deprivation. We all get that. All get that. Running fast, 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 fast. No time to think, no time to meditate, no time to contemplate. So our, our counterculture world works against going deeper in our faith. And, and I would also say temptation. Temptation as persecution. We talked about the evil inclination, the yes sir that we carry, the two hearts. And there's, there is that evil inclination. At times we, we give into that. Well, what, where does that come from? Why, why do we have this sense of being drawn to that which messes us up? 
And I, and I think it's, it's significant to see temptation even as a form of persecution. It's, it's, it's our own self, internal self. We resist ourselves and we give in to what does not help us. And I think that's played out. If you want to live for God, you want to live for Christ, you really want to, to go ahead in him, as soon as you start saying that, you're going to start feeling the current resisting. Resistance, temptation, as persecution. Look at your life, see where that goes. And finally, where, where, you know, where does this end? Where do the Beatitudes end? The end with the statement of being salt and being light. No, you are the salt. The, ne the next verse, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? And then the next one, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, etc. So the point is to stay close to Jesus and to be salt and light in the world. So the invitation for you in your life, in whatever dimensions there are, your work, your family, your home, your neighborhood, in, as a composite, how are we salt and light? That's what Jesus is going for immediately, right after the Beatitudes. Hey, I want you to be salt and I want you to be light, meaning I want you to engage the world for me. I want you to be peacemakers. So engaging, being salt, being light, not just being lost in the crowd, that's not our point, that's not our goal, just hide in the crowd. Not try to influence anyone for good. Just be lost out there. Jesus is saying, no, your job is to be salt. Your job is to be light. If you want to know me, you want to know God more, do you want to know Abba more, then you are to be salt, you are to be light. That's what he's going to develop in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, 7. I want you to be my hands and feet. So as we conclude, I mean, how does Jesus work in our world? How can he work really in our world? And the, the answer from the scriptures is that he works through his church. He works through the citizens of the kingdom of God. And we are to be his hands and his feet. As we do that, we shine for him. So I go back to Oscar Romero. I mean, he's, he, he's a priest in El Salvador in, in the darkest days. Gangs are going crazy. The government is crazy. People are dying. Young men are being killed left and right. Government is just picking people up and they, they, they're gone. And Romero says, hey, this, I can't just watch this. So he speaks out against it. And, and even doing that, he's shot and killed even while he celebrates communion. But as he does that, he is acting as a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. People remember he's had a profound impact on that country. Being salt, being light, individually and as a church community. 
Our whole thing for Nextdoor in terms of the development, you know, is not to pat ourselves on the back. It is not to say, hey, look how great we are, anything like that. It's about trying to be salt and light in a hurting community. And the challenge is to do it in such a way that it impacts everyone, that no one is left out, that we receive grace and give grace so that everybody gets in some way a second chance, a little more opportunity, particularly thinking of youth. In Western Park Baptist Church over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, they're going to have to work with this. We have to do our part in it. To be salt, to be light as a community of faith. So I believe there's something for us, even in this beatitude of pain. When we first read it, we think, well, what has this got to do with me and my life? I don't relate to this one at all. Well, I think if we think about it a bit more, it will resonate quite deeply. May we hear Christ's words. May we pick up and engage his reward to know God more, to be with him. We've done our bit. You've done your bit. In Christ's name we say.